There is no need for temples, no need for complicated philosophies. My brain and my heart are my temples. My philosophy is kindness. That is a quote from the Dalai Lama. Oh, if only we could all treat our minds and bodies like temples, right? Unfortunately, all too often, our self-talk is destructive. Our mind has struggles and our body takes the abuse. No matter your relationship with food, I bet you know someone, if not yourself, who has an unhealthy one. In today's episode, Dr. Nina offers life-changing advice in terms of relationships with food. Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland is a psychoanalyst, author, and radio host specializing in food, weight, and body image issues. Considered a thought leader in the field of eating psychology, she has been featured in Psychology Today, Prevention, Real Simple, Red Book, Huffington Post, and many other publications. She is a frequent guest expert appearing on the Dr. Drew podcast and other, and other media outlets. Dr. Nina brings a fresh perspective by helping people focus on what's eating at them instead of what they are eating. In addition to her private practice, she hosts the Dr. Nina Show on LA Talk Radio. Her book, Food for Thought, Perspectives on Eating Disorders, is an Amazon bestseller. She co-edited Beyond the Primal Addiction with Salmon Oktar, and her latest book is The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. It's time to throw away all the diet books. It's time to let yourself be yourself, but in a positive way. It's time to talk to yourself like you would talk to someone you love. Listen in as Dr. Nina tells us how we can start treating ourselves in loving ways, treating ourselves and our bodies like they're temples and being kind to ourselves. I'm so excited to share Dr. Nina's expertise with you. And I think it's going to make a world of difference, if not specifically for you, for someone that you love. So let's dive in and hear what Dr. Nina has to say. Are you looking for unique gifts for the special women in your life? Moms, sisters, friends? The second phase Etsy shop was created with gift giving in mind. Visit the shop to purchase beautiful note cards for every occasion that after your special someone reads the personal note from you, they can put the card in a simple frame to display in their home. A gift that keeps on giving. The second phase features my original art photography that I personally selected for you. Another great gift idea is a journal. These journals are beautifully crafted with sturdy covers with my fine art images on them. We created the pages lined on one side and blank on the other for those who like to doodle, write in free form, or draw as part of their journaling practice. At the second phase, we believe in creativity as a tool for living a purposeful and meaningful life and want to share our creations with you. Our products are great for teacher gifts, Mother's Day gifts, birthday gifts, and just little happy gifts and inspiration. Are you feeling extravagant and want to treat yourself to some art? Check out our beautiful line of fine art prints. They help any room in your home feel special. To access the Etsy shop, Visit my website, www.robingrahamphotography.com forward slash shop, or you can go straight to Etsy and just search the second phase. But keep in mind, there are no spaces. The second phase is all together. We hope you enjoy the shop and all of the products we've created, especially for you. Hello friends, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. I'm Robin Graham, your host, and a brand marketing strategist and photographer passionate about helping women connect and grow their audience and get more clients. I am so excited you are here with me today to chat all about branding, personal development, and life overall in this second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build the business from the ground up when I was actually terrified to put myself out into the world as something new. 
For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change, a traumatic loss, a move, an illness. It could be any number of things. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a brand that stands out and makes an impact and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive into a new episode. Dr. Nina, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. And I am very excited to tell your story and share with the listeners your expertise and how you're helping people on a daily basis. Life-changing things that you're doing for people, which is just so inspiring and profound. So will you please tell the audience a little bit about you? Well, I think when I, when I talk about me, I think I really need to talk about my story. I guess you would call it the first phase since it led to the second phase. And that started when I was five years old, when I seemingly randomly looked down at my legs and decided that they were fat. And by the way, I was five years old. My parents were like ex-hippie college professors. We didn't have cheap, like I watched Sesame Street or something. I didn't, I, I, my mother read Time Magazine. Like there were no media influences in the house that would make me compare myself to some Barbie doll looking model person. But I decided that my thighs were fat and that somehow I would be better if I were thinner at five. And this started my uh, plummeting into just an eating disorder hell. And by the time I was a teenager, every waking thought was either about how many calories I was burning or whether I would lose weight or gain it. Um, If I went hiking with friends, I wasn't thinking, wow, this is such a beautiful day and it's so nice to be with my friends and this is lovely. I was thinking, okay, we've gone this far. How many calories have I burned? Totally preoccupied. Um, You know, every page of my journal was filled with numbers. And this continued and just got worse. And I was in a cycle of restricting, binging, binging and purging. I was, essentially, I called myself the poster child for eating disorders. Eventually, in college, I went to therapy but I did not go to treat my eating disorders because I was too ashamed of it. And also a part of me didn't want to give it up. So I went to therapy for anxiety. So in in therapy, I talked about guy stuff, school stuff, parent stuff, future stuff. I talked about everything but what was going on with food. My therapist had no idea that I was in fact the poster child for eating disorders. And, So I stayed in therapy and for three years. And by the time I left treatment without ever once talking about food, I no longer had any of those behaviors and I never did again. And people say, well, how do you get over eating disorders without ever talking about food? And the reality is it was never about food. Food was the solution to the problem. Food, whether I was restricting it or binging or binging and purging, it was the solution to the problem, not the problem. And the real problem was my relationship with myself. I was a real slave driver, critic, judge, harsh, harsh to myself. And as I changed my relationship with myself, everything with food changed. And why at five? did I suddenly randomly decide that my thighs were too big? Well, I think I, you know, I said my parents were academics and they were very sort of serious academic types. And I was just this, ah, this kid who was constantly being told, calm down, be quiet, you're too much. And this message of you're too much to handle, in my five-year-old mind became, you're literally too much. And that's what I came to understand much later when I was in my doctoral program to become a psychoanalyst. That's when I realized, oh, that's why it started. That message unconsciously, and this is the 
important piece of what I do and why what I do is different really is the unconscious hidden motivations uh, or, or conflicts that have so much impact over us. Oh my gosh, you said so many things, Nina, and my mind is, is spinning um, for so many reasons. One, as a parent, we have to be so cautious the messages that we send to our children. And I have both sons and a daughter, and we have experienced anxiety in our home. And it's, you know, to the point where it's been severe with one of our children, and it affects everyone in the family when that happens. And that it's not that we did anything wrong. It's not that we sent bad messages. It's just that anxiety is, you know, genetically, it's there, you know that. And it's, you know, but when that arises, and it becomes such a part of your life, there are so many, so many other factors that then fall into place. And that eating is something that when you have anxiety, you can control, you can't control anything else. You can control it and it also, uh, depending on what people eat, it can have a sedative effect. So a lot of times people with anxiety will eat a lot of carbs and they're kind of self-medicating themselves to uh, just to calm their bodies down is because sometimes when you calm your body down, you also calm your mind down. So uh, it's understandable that anxiety and especially at this time, people are very anxious and I'm hearing a lot about stress eating, binge eating, all of that, because we, we as a culture have been taught, have not been taught to self-soothe. We've been taught to not feel. And so what do we do when we feel something and we feel something intensely? Well, we often cope different ways, but a lot of people cope with food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. And, and that can be taking food away or it could be eating more food, right? Yes, I mean, in, in terms of the people that I see, and there are way more people in my experience who, who turn to food. And I think it's important to understand why. Because a lot of times people will say, well, why food? Why is food my thing? One woman actually said to me, and she said this in all seriousness, she said, why is food my thing? If I were a meth addict, at least I'd be skinny. That's what she said to me, and she was serious. So wow. it was sort of appalling on so many levels. But what I said to her was, well, why food? Because as babies, as infants, our first experience of love, safety, security, and just that sort of blissful connection with another person is bound up with the experience of being fed. So when you, you know, you see, imagine a baby or we've all, you, you have babies, I have babies, we've been babies and, you know, babies are held and they're, they're held in someone's arms and you have the gaze of, of delight looking at the baby often, mostly. And just, and that, that experience for the baby is they're, they're held, they're safe, they're secure, they're loved. And that gets fused with the experience of being fed. So in our unconscious minds, we don't literally think about this consciously, but in our unconscious minds, food can equal relationship. And food is also available, reliable, and predictable, as opposed to the world and people, which can be, uh, they can be unavailable, unreliable, or definitely now unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we turn to food. We talk about comfort food we're really talking about the wish to be comforted. Yeah. So you, you went through this and you saw this transformation in yourself without even talking about food. So your, your love for what you do right now and your passion for what you do right now is based on your own personal experience and how you saw the cycle, the like a psychoanalyst um, component of this when you went to school, like you saw how this affected you. So you went to school to, to garner those, that experience and then be able to help others through similar experiences. 
And that led you into what you did with seeing patients locally in LA and seeing people one-on-one, working with them individually. But for your second phase, you expanded that. You saw a need that was so much greater than working with one-on-one individuals in a private practice. So you took your expertise and you expanded it. Will you tell us how you expanded it? Because I'd like to dive into what you're doing now and how you're helping so many people on such a vast level, still working with individuals, but yet working with, you know, large, large, um, or the the community at large, I should say, um, through your radio show and your book and everything else that you're doing. Well, I noticed that people, people started coming in and they would say to me, wow, no one's ever talked to me about this in this way. I've been to 10 treatment centers. No one's ever helped me understand myself in this way. Too often, the the symptom is treated as the problem instead of a symptom of the problem, or as I think of it, the solution to the problem. And so people were saying, this makes so much sense. And I've been feeling like, what's wrong with me that I can't get a hold on this? I understand myself so much more. Because I say, look, if you're turning to food, you're turning away from something else. This is a way of coping. This is not a, a, a disease. It's not, you know, I don't think of it as a mental illness. And people were coming in and saying, well, I'm mentally ill because I've got bulimia or anorexia, whatever. And they were so self-pathologizing. And I thought, well, if, if these people are telling me that, that they're hearing something new, there must be a lot of people out there who could benefit from what I have to say. So at first I I started a blog where I would just share some of my thoughts. And I thought maybe, you know, 10 people were were reading it. And then I get, six months later, I get this email, your blog has been nominated for a top eating disorder blog. People are reading it. And that's when someone told me, you know, you can actually check the stats on your blog. I had no idea. And like 50,000 people had read the blog. I was like, how did this happen? And then from that, I started a podcast called Win the Diet War with Dr. Nina. And then after that, I thought, no, people need to hear more than my voice. They need to see me. So I started my YouTube channel, which is Break Free, of, Break Free from Binging with Dr. Nina. And then I started writing books. And then I was appearing on a lot of radio shows. And the, the, the radio station, um, LA Talk Radio, located quite conveniently, not far from my office, which if, if you've ever been to LA, this is unbelievable. Like yeah, yeah. every <laughs> miles away, um, talk to me about maybe like being a host. So I've been doing that for nearly three years and it's been incredibly gratifying. And I think that, and the, my latest book is, um, which I will, this, this book is for The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating is for, um, mainstream readers. My other books are more scholarly, even though I wrote them so that hopefully everyone could could understand it. I didn't want to write a book that only other psychoanalysts could understand. Right. And so, and and then and and from this, then I also have online programs. So I have a, a program that you can do in your, your own home. I have an inner circle program. I've got people all over the world, um, and it's incredibly, it, it's incredibly heartwarming for me to be able to get my message out to people literally all over the world so that they can lift the shame that goes with binge eating. I mean, I think it's important to say that people with binge eating are so full of shame and self-loathing and they think they have no willpower, they have no control, they think there's something wrong with them, they don't, they, they're, they're, they just feel terrible about themselves. And binge eating is is the most prevalent eating disorders there is. There are far more people struggling with binge eating disorder than there are anorexia and bulimia combined. But people with binge eating don't often know they have an actual diagnosable, treatable condition. They just feel so much shame. And so it's part of my mission is to say, look, it's not that you lack willpower. It's that it's that you you are not you don't know something is hidden from you. You're trying to solve a problem that you don't even you may not even know is there. Yeah. Uh, I let me let me give a a, a quick example of what I mean because I think an example might help. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I, I would like for you to elaborate a little bit more. And the other question I have as you were talking is, how do people identify that they have a problem with binge eating? Like what exactly is binge they, eating? They, well, some people will say they binge when they had five cookies, but that's not binge eating. I mean, binge eating is eating way more food than you would ordinarily eat. And often it's, it's without enjoyment. It's almost like a desperate, horrible, compulsive, can't stop eating and then you're filled with remorse and shame as opposed to overeating. So overeating is like, uh, I had too much. I had too much. I'm going to cut down tomorrow. Or why did I eat that? I had too much, but it, it's not, it's not associated with the level of shame of binge eating. Binge eating is at least three times a week eating in this fast compulsive way where you can't stop often people will will eat things they don't even like but it's just it's just there and they get into this sort of zone where you you can't stop and 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 the, and I remember when I would be in the, the when I was binge eating I would I would just I wouldn't even be there like it was like it took me away from myself, which was the point, by the way, because myself was so mean. So often people use food just to get away from their own mean voices. Fascinating. The mind is, is so unbelievable. It, you know, it's, it's so intricate. And the, the offsetting that it does, and we don't even realize it. Yeah, I call it a frenemy because it is a friend. It does something to you for you but it also hurts you you know yeah. it, it helps it helps you in some way it helps you cope it helps you escape it numbs you it feels good for the moment i mean it it does so much for people but of course it also hurts them and if you only look at how it hurts you and don't recognize that it's doing something for you then you never get anywhere so it's really important to recognize well why so it's not don't look at what you're eating ask yourself why? What is this doing for me? Oh, that's so important. Why is a, a word that is very small, but it's very powerful. And people don't dig deep into their why as often as they should. And, and I, I want to give that example because I think it really, it, it really illustrates how, how the mind protects itself, but also that protection can hurt. So just briefly, I had a patient who came in and told me, she said, hey, Dr. Nina, maybe some of your other people have like emotional eating issues, which of course it's much deeper than that, but that's what she said. She said that she told me that she was a food addict and that she could prove it, knowing that I do not believe in food addiction, maybe eating addiction, not food addiction. Um, and so I said, well, how please prove it I'd, I'd love to hear this so she told me that the night before she was watching tv everything was fine she even had a good day at work she was just chilling out and as she put it ben and jerry's started calling her name she's like calling my name i'm addicted to ice cream i said well what were you watching on tv She's my favorite show, my favorite guilty pleasure, Charmed. See, I was, I, was, I was all good. It was fine. I was having a good day. I'm just, basic. I'm addicted to ice cream. Okay, what was the episode about? She said, well, it's the one where the devil comes down and the sisters start fighting and everything gets really contentious and awful. And then she stopped and she looked at me and I looked at her because in that moment, we both knew that watching the show had activated her own unresolved sister stuff. And before she could recognize that she was being triggered, she went right to ice cream. So the problem was not ice cream. Ice cream was the solution to the problem. The problem was her unresolved sister stuff and her inability to process it. So as we began processing her feelings about her sister and her thoughts and all of that, guess what? Ice cream stopped calling her name. And then she could just have it for dessert mm -hmm. instead of as a way of coping. She could have a healthy relationship with it. Exactly. Exactly. So 
you you said something about so eating addiction versus binge eating so it's not a food addiction it's an eating addiction but my question to you is what is the difference between an eating addiction versus binge eating well um i think the distinction i made was between food addiction and eating addiction now yes, I should, that's what i meant i should say i do not subscribe to the the term addiction even though i just wrote a book called co-edited a book called beyond the primal addiction i find the word addiction to be very pathologizing and negative so I don't even like using the word addiction, but if people say, oh, I'm a food addict, food addiction is you're addicted to the actual substance of food. And people feel like food, food addicts. Um, but So they think that they're actually addicted to the, the cookies they can't stop eating. I, I write in my book about this woman who would bake cookies with her daughter and she'd send her daughter out of the room on some pretext so that she could eat cookie dough alone. And she would just like, eat a ton of it and then she'd pretend that she dropped it and had to make it again and like all of these things like she believed she was addicted to food to sugar to all of that she was not what she was addicted to was using food was eating to resolve something internal mm -hmm. and when when we when we dealt with everything that was going on with her that was leading her to want cookie dough and cookies and everything she stopped needing it. Now her brain hadn't changed. And there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of science out there that actually disproves the, the theory of food addiction. Food, there, were, there, were, there have been some studies that appeared to show that we are, our, our brains are addicted to sugar and white flour and all of that. But actually it is disproved with science. This woman, after a while, her brain hadn't changed her mind changed and then she was no longer addicted. Quick example. Um, so some scientists, they wanted to prove food, food addiction. So they told their research subjects, hey, we want you to eat your um, forbidden foods, right? We want you to eat your forbidden foods. And the theory was, well, once these people start eating their forbidden foods, they're not gonna be able to stop and that will prove that you know, they're truly addicted. Well, what do you think happened? Interestingly, the people ate less of their forbidden foods. Why? Because when they were given permission, they could choose whether they were going to have it or not. They weren't eating something out of an, uh, an, the anticipation of deprivation or out of deprivation. If I tell you, hey, don't eat coconuts guess what after a while you're going to want coconuts because you can't have it whether you like coconuts or not <laughs> so you know that was anyway i don't want to go off too much on a tangent but people feel like food addicts people with binge eating disorder believe they are food addicts they are not so there really isn't a true defining line between eating addiction and binge eating they're sort of one and the same it's just a different way of describing it. I mean, binge yeah. is okay. behavior. And yeah, I just wanted to make sure I understood that and that the listeners knew specifically that, you know, what that meant. Would you like to learn more about personal branding? Maybe you are ready to take your existing brand to the next level. The Brand Insider Mastermind will delve into every aspect of personal branding and help you create or up-level your personal brand, help your business soar to new heights. There will be an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to ask questions, an accountability partnership, an opportunity to grow your network and referral source, and much more. We will meet bi-weekly for one and a half hour sessions. During each session, a personal branding theme will be presented and discussed. Each individual will have time to ask questions and report on their specific tasks or action items goals and tasks will be set for the next two-week period, and the Brand Insider Mastermind will be a place of accountability and connection with no judgment, only kindness and accessibility to personal and business development. Each Mastermind participant will receive a one-on-one -on -one consultation at the end of the 12-week session. This is a value of $300, but will be included in the price of the Mastermind for the introductory Mastermind session. The themes that we will discuss 
and that will be taught during the mastermind sessions include the five C's of personal branding, the five W's of personal branding, the five components of a personal brand, how to identify your niche and ideal audience, content creation and differentiation, blogging, email marketing, networking, individual website and social media profile reviews and recommendations from me. Participant-led discussions based on questions and needs. The price for this is only $397. It is a one-time, super low introductory price. Space is limited to only 12 participants to guarantee one-on-one attention. In addition to everything else mentioned, you will have access to my private Brand Insider Facebook group for ongoing access to the mastermind for learning, questions, and accountability. I sure hope to see you in the Brand Insider Mastermind in spring of 2020. To access the information, to learn more, or to register, go to my website, www.robingrahamphotography.com forward slash shop. Let's move on a little bit. I have one question. Um, Is binge eating more prevalent in male or female? Or is it equal? That, if you look at statistics, it will say it's more prevalent in females. However, that is because men have traditionally seen eating problems as the purview of women and girls. And so a lot of guys do not talk about their eating issues because they think they're the only guy in the world who's dealing with this. Now this is starting to change, but I can tell you in my practice, a third of my practice are men. So like statistically it's skewed because men do not report what's going on with food. I think it is a human issue. I think it is a human issue because we are told as a society not to feel things. Like if you're angry, get a, ang- go to anger management class. If you're anxious, take a pill. If you're sad, you're depressed, take a pill. Like feelings, which are natural, uh, natural reactions to situations are, are seen as something that are, are weak or that we shouldn't feel and we're seen as strong if we don't feel something and weak if we do. I'm not talking about anxiety disorder or mood disorders. I'm talking about natural human reactions. There are instances where a pill is necessary if you have true anxiety disorder or depression or, you know, mental health challenges. But on the day to day, those emotions that just kind of pop up out of nowhere. Being, because we're human and we encounter yeah. things, we have feelings. And then if we don't know how to cope, because we haven't, we've been told just don't feel that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's okay. It could be worse. But if mm-hmm. we're told, hey, don't feel that in so many ways, in so many ways, subtly or overtly, then how do, how do we cope when we do have a response, a reaction to a situation, when we get mad, when we get sad, when we get anxious? Well, often food is the solution because it, it's what soothes us as, as babies and it's what we go to. Not everyone goes to food, of course, but a lot of people do because it's associated with soothing, comforting. Well, and food is, you know, it's readily available, but it's also something that, you know, when we have gatherings, family gatherings, holiday gatherings, you know, when you're meeting friends out, food is always there. It's always a positive it you know it's always something that provides positive feelings whenever you're doing it with other people that you love and care for yes great point it is a it is a reward it's associated with celebration and all of that yeah 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 okay so you've you've sort of um hinted to this but tell us what that we've talked a little bit about anxiety but and i would love to know what the association is with anxiety and eating disorders but whether or not anxiety is the number one contributing factor to binge eating, like I would love to know what is that number one contributing factor? What is the association of anxiety with these disorders? There is not any number one contributing factor because it depends on the individual. For some people, you know, some people can get really sad and everything gets filtered through sadness, but they can't get angry. So when they feel really angry, they might like kind of they might binge to just just 
you know, displace their anger at other people onto themselves. Okay. Um, some, uh, so other people are, deal with anxiety and, and use food to, to soothe themselves, to cope, to sometimes just um, eating a lot of carbs can have a sedative effect on your, on your body, which can have a relaxing effect on your mind temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is no one way of uh, one reason why people turn to food, but, but this is also why, because people do it for reasons that they, that are unbeknownst to them, they get so good at you turning to food. They never even know they're triggered. Like my patient had no idea she was triggered in the way that she was. She thought she was triggered by ice cream. Instead, she was triggered by what she was watching, which is why I developed my food mood formula, which I talk about in my new book, in which I correlate if you're turning to certain kinds of foods, that is an indication that of what is going on with you, what you really need. So in my patient's case, she was turning to ice cream and ice cream and smooth creamy foods that's associated with a need for comfort. And so if smooth creamy ice cream pudding, that kind of stuff is, is your thing, then that's a clue that you need to find new ways of comforting yourself and uh, without food, which is also something I, I helped do in the book and I'm happy to talk with you guys about. Um, if you're, if other people, they're all about like pizza or pasta or bread or cake or muffins, things that kind of take up space, filling bulky foods. And those are associated with uh, a void or loneliness. So if those are the go-to, you want to look at, well, what in your life is missing? What's the missing piece in your life? What's the hole in your life? And instead of symbolically filling it with food, let's fill it by understanding it and processing it. Crunchy chips, pretzels, even carrots, stuff like that. Those, anything with a, like a, a crunch, a bite, that's associated mm-hmm. with anger. And if that's your go-to, then got to think about how do you express anger without turning it against yourself? Oh, this is fascinating. And I'm sure you've done this research. Like it's, it's not something you've just come up with. You have analyzed so many patients and seen the, the um, cause and effect so many times that you're able to say this with complete confidence. And I, I just think that it's so powerful. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll come in and they'll say, oh my gosh, I, had, I have to have ice cream with nuts. Like I can't have ice cream without nuts. And they'll realize like, yeah, my predominant feeling is I need comfort, but I'm also a little pissed. And it, it's, it, it helps so much because then you realize, okay, what's going on with you? And, and then, you can, then you can really tap into yourself in a new way. And after a while, you don't use the food mood, mood formula. You just are more aware of, oh, I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm anxious. I, I need comfort. This is what I, what I really need. And you can kind of peel those layers back of the emotion to, to get to the root of it. Yes. And by the way, the root, the weed root analogy is the perfect one for my work. Because if you just pluck a weed, of course, it will grow back because you've got to get to the, the root. Going on a diet or even binging or any behavior with food, if you want to stop it, that's just plucking a weed. You have to look at what is creating the behavior. Again, the why, not what you are doing, but why. And that root is similar to our unconscious minds. We, we can't see the root, it's underground. And yet we discern its presence because it grows the weed. We, we don't know, we, there are things hidden from us in our unconscious mind, we're in the dark about it. But the more that we shine a light and see what's down there, then we get to those roots and then we get rid of it for good. That's why my eating disorders never came back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to the root of it. Yeah. So, Nina, you just mentioned the word dieting. And I know there are a lot of falsities around dieting. And a lot of people are consuming these you know, this content with if they, if they eliminate all carbs from their diet, if they eliminate all fats from their diet, they're going to lose weight, they're going to be healthier, they're going to look better. 
I want to know what your perspective is on that because I'm seeing these things and I'm not seeing people getting results or if they stop the diet, they bounce right back to where they were at the beginning. Yes. Um, the first chapter of my new book is uh, of the seven steps to outsmart emotional eating. The first step is to ditch dieting. There is a, a $60 billion diet industry that it, that is, it, it needs us to be on diets, $60 billion. It needs us to be on diets. But dieting is, again, like plucking the weed. So dieting doesn't work for two reasons. One is these diets are unsustainable. They're not healthy. I mean, I'm sure that whenever I say that, I get a lot of hate emails saying, how dare you? I've been on keto and it's changed my life. Okay. But it, most of them are not sustainable. They're not actually rooted in real science. And they, they, they distance us from intuitive eating, from knowing what our bodies want and what we need. Um, and they also mess up our metabolisms. Often diets are, are calorie restrictive. And so when you have a deficit of calories, your metabolism goes, ooh, we better slow down. So if I can anthropomorphize my metabolism, right, then your, your metabolism slows down and then it becomes more efficient. So it takes fewer calories to keep you going, which means when you start eating normally again, it is easier to gain weight. But from a psychological perspective, diets don't work because they focus on what you are eating and not why. And the anticipation of deprivation, I'm gonna go on that diet on Monday. Guess what happens between now and Monday? Right? You go crazy. People will tell me all the stuff they eat because they're going on that diet Monday and they better have more of this now because they're not having it for months until they get to that magical weight. So the anticipation of deprivation makes people wanna eat things more mm -hmm. and makes them wanna eat more of them. And the experience of deprivation, which is what being on a diet is, makes you want to eat something more. And it also focuses your mind on food and not what is eating at you. But my, my tagline for my radio show is, it's not what you're eating that's the problem, it's what's eating at you. Mm -hmm. And if you're focused on what you're eating, it will elude you what is actually going on. And so from the emotional perspective, why are you eating? And from also just the, the, the physiological perspective, our bodies are so wise if we listen to them. If we, if we listen to what we need, we, we can say, oh, gosh, I'm really hungry for, I need protein. Do I, I need fish today, or I need steak, or I need, I need whatever. I need eggs, or I need a salad. Or I want a sandwich. Like if we, if we really listen to our bodies, our bodies will tell us what we need to eat. But we can't get there until we've dealt with the emotional part of it and stop dieting and, have, and not have this good food, bad food, which equals good me, bad me. And quite frankly, I think we just have a lot more interesting things to talk about and think about than how many freaking calories we had and how many carbs and how many protein, this or that, and macros and all of that. <sighs> yeah. I, I can feel your passion <laughs> for this. And it's, I mean, it's something that's been near and dear to my heart because I think I've, I've told you before, um, you know, I've struggled with body image. I was anorexic and it's um, something that does stay with you. But as for me, and it was anxiety. And as I learned to, to work with my anxiety and, you know, use cognitive behavioral therapy and those kind of things, it, everything changed. And I think it's something that you're, you're so spot on that we have to get to the root of it. Um, and I love this. I, it, I think this is such a powerful episode and I think it's going to help so many people. So thank you so much, Nina, Dr. Nina, for being here. Um, Okay, so now to wrap up, will you tell us the top three action steps that people can take to have a healthy relationship with food? And maybe it's not top three, but what are, what are your suggestions for? Okay, I have two. Well, first of all, stop, 
stop dieting. Also get rid of the scale. The scale cannot measure your, your self-worth. Do not give a piece of metal and plastic that much power. Just get rid of your scale. But that, but, but, but from a perspective of, of you know, what I do, two things are very important because changing your relationship with food is really about changing your relationship with yourself. And one of the things that I hear people say a lot is they talk to themselves in a really harsh way from the second person voice. For example, um, person said to me that she went to a party, this was over the holidays and she said, she said, oh, as I was going to the party, I told myself, I'm just gonna have a little bit of everything. I'm not gonna restrict myself. I'm not gonna deprive myself and that'll be okay. And then she said, but on the way home, you know, I, I ate more than I wanted to. And so on the way home, I was like, oh my God, you have no willpower. You have no control. You're never gonna lose weight. You are, you, you just suck. You're gonna be fat forever. So one of the things that I see, I see this so often in nearly everybody I treat, they talk to themselves in the second person in a really mean voice. So I said to her, I want you to say that again, but say it from a first person perspective. Say, I have no willpower. I have no control. I suck. And she couldn't because it was too harsh. So one of the things that I would suggest immediately is notice the way that you talk to yourself. Do not talk to yourself from a second person place or even a third person. Only use the word I. The other is tone. Um, I notice that people talk to themselves in a super harsh tone. And by the way, why is this important? Because often this eating takes the place of soothing. You can't simultaneously be mean to yourself and soothe yourself. You can't, you can't berate yourself into feeling better. So, so tone is important. Uh, another example, another patient said, well, I tried talking to myself and it didn't work. I said, okay, well, how did you talk to yourself? What did you say? And she said, well, I told myself, it'll be okay. This will pass. It's going to be all right. And I said, well, of course you didn't feel better. Can you imagine saying that to a friend of yours who was upset? You know, you'll be okay. Of course, it's, you know, right? You, you never say that to another person. So I said, you, you got to say, this will pass. Of course it will be okay. It's going to be okay. Of course it'll be better. I can't remember exactly what she said or what I just said. But you see, you can say the same words in a different tone. And it goes from being sort of indifferent and almost mean to a verbal hug. And so the tone in which you talk to yourself is super important. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've seen that or heard that phrase often to talk to yourself as you would talk to someone you love and it's i think one of the first things that as humans we forget yes and and we we talk to others in a very different way than we talk to ourselves and so just those two things if you wouldn't say it to a child to a someone you love don't say it to yourself and just cultivate kindness. The kinder you are to yourself, the less likely you are to use food to escape. Because if you're nice to yourself, you feel better. If you feel better, you don't need food. If you're super anxious and stressed because we're all in this pandemic or for whatever reason, you know, say someone's listening to this when the pandemic is over, but there's always right. a stressor. There's always something to make you anxious. There's always something going on. When you can respond to yourself instead of reacting, reacting is eating. Responding is being kind, using words, being gentle, reminding yourself that, yes, this is hard and you're going to get through it. Then you feel better with words. You don't need to escape yourself. You don't need to soothe your anxiety with, with, a, with a behavior. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so powerful. So Nina, Dr. Nina, I keep calling you Nina because you're my friend, but to the world, you're Dr. Nina. And I don't, I don't mean any disrespect to your degree. Um, 
and to your expertise. Um, I just adore you. So it's easy for me to fall into that um, first name basis. So, but Dr. Nina, <laughs> do you have a book recommendation? And feel free to put a plug in here for any of your books as well um, that you would suggest for the listeners to read. Well, I wrote this book. This is my book that I showed before. This is my newest book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating on Amazon and other places. I wrote it because I, I, I wasn't seeing the book that I wanted to recommend to people. Like I would see pieces of it, but it wouldn't go deep enough. I would see like books had aspects of it, but not the whole thing. And so I wrote the book because I wanted to have a book in which everything that I have learned and taught and imparted for the last 18 years, I wanted to put that in a book. So again, that I could reach even more people and help them. And that is why I wrote this book. So that's awesome. And I will put the book, a link to the book in the show notes as well. So if anyone's interested in the book, they can very easily purchase it directly from their phone or whatever device they're listening to the episode on. Wonderful. Thank you. And do you have a favorite quote? Mm, yes. Live, do not merely exist. Oh, I love that. Um, that's a beautiful quote. I love it. Um, Dr. Nina, it was a pleasure to have you here today. This is such powerful information. I know it's going to help so many people. And I've read your testimonials um, when you've posted them on Instagram. I've read them on your website. And you're touching lives and making such a huge difference in the ability for people to even experience an ounce of joy. And I just think it's wonderful. So thank you for all of the work you're doing to make the world a better, happier place. Oh, thank you. You just made my day. You made me tear up a little bit. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's my honor and my pleasure to do so. And thank you so much for having me. And that's a wrap, friends. Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, will you please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review? That would mean the world to me. It will also help others find the podcast. I really look forward to getting to know my listeners. Will you please connect with me on Instagram? You can find me at the Robin Graham. You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as Robin Graham. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, The Brand Marketing Insider. Please spread the word about the Second Phase Podcast. Until next time, remember to smile.